Welcome to the Break the Twitch podcast on minimizing distractions and doing more of what matters through minimalism, habits, and creativity. I'm your host, Anthony Ungaro. This is the penultimate episode of season two of the podcast. I'm thrilled to bring you this conversation with Nora McInerney. Nora is the host of the wildly popular podcast, Terrible Thanks for Asking, the best-selling author of the book, It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Cool, too. She's the founder of Still Kickin', a nonprofit that helps heroes going through difficult times, and the author of her latest memoir, No Happy Endings, which actually comes out on March 26th, just next week, and is available for pre-order right now. In this episode, we talk about grief, depression, we discuss feeling lost in your 20s and opting out of the shoulds and expectations of success highlighted on social media and in our culture. Additionally, we chat about prioritization, habits, and what to say when someone you know is going through something terrible. You're going to love this episode, and I am so excited to share it with you. And that brings me to the Break the Twitch member community, which is the community that makes this podcast possible and brings it to you advertisement and sponsor free. If you're looking to declutter your home, build a meditation habit, or reignite your inner creativity, we have an audio course for that. Each audio course walks you through small daily steps over the course of 21 days that will help you reach your goals. New members get a 20-minute welcome call with me just to help you get started. You can ask any questions you have and more. You can support the podcast and get all of these amazing benefits and more for just nine bucks a month. Go to breakthetwitch.com community to find out more and get immediate access. But for now, let's start the show. Check your phone. Check your phone. If there's Never a lull in the conversation. Your phone. Yeah. Pretty much all the time. Lulls in conversation. If you're bored, if you don't like the question I'm asking. Oh, just check your phone. Check okay. your phone. Got a spare minute in traffic? You're driving? Check your phone. Check your phone. That's how I live. Even yeah. <laughs> there's funny, I saw something, uh, you know, Gary V, like Gary oh, yeah. Vayner's talking, yep. you know, pretty mm-hmm. intense dude. Uh, but he was talking about he always is looking to seeing what are people looking at to see mm-hmm. kind of a market study of that yeah. sort of thing. And uh and he's like, you know, I-, I was looking to see if anyone would ever notice a billboard anymore. Yeah. And and he goes, No, no one's looking at billboards. In fact, no one's even looking at the road. Everyone's no. on their phone just staring down at their lap. So yeah. that's unless you're not in Minnesota, fun. in which case you can't not see the billboards because they're all owned by one man, Chris Lindahl, who really? is here to sell your house. <laughs> Have you not seen those? They're no. everywhere. Oh my it's just gosh. him smiling with his arms outstretched. I don't know why, but he's really made a name for himself by buying every billboard. You can't just Every buy billboard. one, I guess. No, you it's, have to buy them all. you got to saturate it's the market. crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, how much are billboards? Should I get one? Like, should I just have an ad? I saw something recently that was um, a pay, sort of like a, you know, Google AdWords where mm-hmm. it's like pay per click or Facebook ads, yeah. but for a digital billboard and where you could literally select the billboard and you could buy impressions or ticks, they call them or something. And so you could pay like 
$10 and be randomly put into the rotation on whatever picture you wanted and you'd be on a highway. <laughs> it seems like this is a new, a I new thing. I need you to send me this immediately because <laughs> I absolutely want to do that. And I want to have billboards for nothing, yeah. essentially. Just <laughs> like enjoy this For numbers picture. that don't exist. <laughs> Enjoy this picture of a moose that yeah. I'm just going to put here instead of an ad. It cost me $10. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. Here's a treat. Nora. Yes. I'm thrilled to have you in my house on the podcast. I'm so glad to be in your house. You've done a very good job. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the studio has been uh, a project. It's great. That we're it's now we're now leaving behind, <laughs> uh, which is... Like all good know, projects. Like all good projects eventually... It's time to abandon them. They become abandoned. Mm. Yeah. Well, welcome. Glad to have you here. Thank you. How you know? I hesitate to start with. So, how's it going? How how is are it you going? Oh gosh, that might um, be a loaded question. Yeah. No. I mean, I think that I have been recently just sort of like in a pit of depression, where I I, I work independently on a lot of my projects, and it's very isolating. I would say and. Sometimes I feel like that's a benefit, right? Like you can't make things if you're like, if you have a day job, it's much harder. Mm. <laughs> it's much harder if you have a regular job to also make your own things, make a podcast, write books. But also when you spend that much time alone, I do think that there are possibly some negative side effects. I don't know if anyone has studied that, like the human's need for social interaction <laughs> right. and, and feedback, but I'm definitely, definitely been feeling that. Also, it's February in Minnesota, the sun's out now. Yeah. That's a rarity. So it's like there's only so much that a sad lamp can do for you. Like even a medical grade one that I bought at a medical supply store for many dollars. It's like, uh, and we're just in that long slog towards a hopeful spring someday. And that's how I am. Aren't you glad you had me over? <laughs> What about yourself? No. What about yourself? What's going on with you? You know, it's, it's, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Uh, you know, there have been elements of feeling a similar darkness yeah. uh, around being a little bit isolated. And uh, we've been lucky to be away from Minnesota for a while mm -hmm. for the my first, really my first time in my whole life away from a Midwest winter. Yeah. And we came back a week ago and I've shoveled eight times. Yeah in five days yeah. so yeah. it's it's pretty intense it's just brutal yeah yeah it's something one of the catalysts of, of why we're experimenting mm -hmm. with heading somewhere else for a while you will not be doing snow removal yeah so where we go we will yeah. not be doing will snow not removal. be doing that mm -mm. at least in any meaningful way yeah uh it might be fake snow at some uh outside strip mall <laughs> i mean it could be you might need to do that but yeah uh, i don't know it's just it's just um also when you make things that take so much out of you like you just have this or at least I do like before something comes out it's just sort of like and I have a book that's coming out in like a while but um or soon like five weeks but it sort of feels like you're like chunk, 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 like the first part of a roller coaster ride oh, wow. and you're yeah. like I don't know if we're just gonna stall out here or if we're gonna be really going for it. You have no idea. And it's so largely out of your control. You've done the thing, you've made the thing, and now it's time for the world to be excited about it or not. And that's just. Yeah. It's like that kind of over the, you're just. Are we going to do it? I don't know. Where are you on that roller coaster right now with the book coming out? I don't know. 
I don't know. Like that, I think that's the hard part. Uh, the book is written. It is out of my hands completely. It's available for pre-order. It's like just sort of this, uh, you think that the hard thing will be writing the book and it sort of is, but the hard thing really is just this anticipation between when you turn it in and when it actually comes out where you're like, is this now what? Like I care about this book. I hope other people care about this book, but you really just don't know. So that's where, that's where, that's where I'm at. Your first book came Mm -hmm. out. It's okay to laugh. Crying is okay to you. That came out two It came out in May, 2016. Okay. So just under three, three years ago. Mm -hmm. And so this is the follow-up. This is a sequel. Sequel. This is a sequel. So uh, this book is called No Happy Endings and it covers, you know, the first book that I wrote, I wrote in the six months after Aaron died. So it covers a pretty tight, timeline of my life and it was written really in like those chaotic first months of grief which I'm so glad I did because that's a real place to come from and it is much easier to write about something from like a safe emotional distance of like 10 years 15 years now it's been four years since Aaron died so I'm not at that safe place yet but my life has continued to move forward and that means that I have fallen in love again, that I'm married to another, my current husband, as I like to call him. Uh, We have a blended family of four children and our life is really, really good. And also, I really do miss Aaron. And also, this one beautiful family that we have had to come from two really broken places, from a death and from a divorce. And those are two... uh, really brutal experiences for for people to survive. So this book is uh, for truly anybody who has gone through something difficult and still is, honestly. What was it like writing this book with some more space between the first one and that period mm-hmm. of, of your life and, and now – with the marriage and, yeah. and the the blended family and what was the how did the experience how is it different change? yeah um the first I mean at least I've written a book before so I can say that I was very stressed out the first time I wrote a book about like the actual how of it like well how do you how do you plot it out like how do you complete it in what order do you write it like how do you format it truly the things that are not as important as what you are writing, but I sort of distracted myself from the what by focusing on the how um, and really obsessing over that and being like, is this like, should I have set it up differently? Should I have done whatever differently? And so the first draft that I turned in of that book, my editor, Julia, like basically threw away (laughs) and was like, start over. You're writing how you think people want you to write about this. So instead, I want you to write it the way you're living it. And I want you to write it the same way that you would tell me about it, because that's why I signed you, because of the way that you that you are capable of talking about this. Don't worry about being like the most serious, the most saddest. (laughs) Don't worry about about what people expect you to write after your husband dies, like truly write it the way that you are. And I did that. I deleted everything and I started over. And uh, the resulting book is very, very different from. I would say a, a traditional memoir. And this time I knew exactly what, exactly how I wanted this book to be. I knew from the moment I pitched it 
the scene that would open it and the scene that would close it. I knew that. The middle stuff changed a lot. There's probably an extra 30% of book that ended up getting cut because I uh, have, I I think you and I are afflicted similarly with this. um, Every idea is worth pursuing. (laughs) Oh boy. So I did yeah. that. I did that, but in book form. And my editor was like, we're going to need it to not be an epic. Okay, this needs to be, this needs to, we're going to have to tighten it up. So I have a lot of chapters for some future project. Future project. Yeah. 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 I, I always talk about my myriad of half built houses mm. from my 20s. And Whole village. <laughs> just a, a village complex mm-hmm. of, Half-built houses that at one point I I realized, especially in the early days of Break the Twitch, that it's really hard to live in a half-built house, Oof. even if you have ten of them. I gotta write that down. Sorry, <laughs> I mean I know this will come up later and give me this piece of paper. Please, but, no, oof, please. That oof. is for your that is for your use. I I realized that for me, minimalism and learning to do less and focus on fewer things was my self wanting to work towards completion and mm-hmm. and like a change in or, or like a chapter finishing kind of thing or a book turning the page to the next story. I just next love project. starting things. Yeah. I do. I love being like, oh, now I'm going to focus all my energy here. And like, and then, you know, the middle part is is not the fun part. You know what everyone loves? Like starting something and finishing something. The so middle you, part the sucks. Best parts. It's like, right? The middle part, you're like, oh. But it's not done yet, and I don't have the thrill of, like, planning it. Now I just have to do it. It's the worst. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the the half-built houses. I, I also have, like, a small suburb of those from my – all over. All, every decade of my life. I do, too. Yeah. I mm-hmm. I believe there's a term called being a multi-potentialite oh. where you – I'm so sorry. <laughs> where, no, now you're where, on my podcast. Okay. Where you, you know, you, you – have lots of interests and passions and things and you end up learning, you love the learning curve of new things that are exciting. And sometimes the work gets to where it's like, I don't know what to do with this. And then something gets uh, shiny and interesting. And yeah. I, I've saw a lot of that pattern. Yeah. In, I would way prefer to do well. the shiny stuff. Yeah. Way prefer it. Yeah. yeah. But it's also, I'm just a person with a lot of ideas. And for a long mm-hmm. time, I didn't do any of those ideas because I was so focused on doing all of the things that I thought that I should do in life. So I should, I mean, I ended up in a career that I I truly had no, there are people who really, really want to and aspire to work in marketing and advertising. I didn't. My parents worked in advertising. I told them every day, like, I will never do what you do. It's so meaningless. No offense. Keep paying my school bills. But um, it's just so shallow and stupid. And like, I'm better than you. I remember having this conversation with my dad on the phone from college and he was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that, uh, providing for my family was so meaningless. Tell me more. And I was like, I don't mean it that way. I just mean like, you know, there are kids who are starving and like you're selling whatever. And then I of course end up in it and it's not super fulfilling and it's really stressful. And I don't react well to manufactured stress, real stress. Like if you had a heart attack right now, I would fucking rule dude. You'd I would, rock it. I would, I'd be like, guess what? Nine one one. This man's having a heart attack. Don't worry. Like, you should come, but I'll, I'll keep him alive somehow. Chest I'll compressions already happening. Yes, already, Check. I was certified <laughs> in CPR at age 16. I'm sure it's still in me. Real real stress is fine for me, but fake stress, 
I was like, I can't handle this. I can't handle getting red exclamation emails that say like emergency. And it's about an ad that hasn't gone out yet that nobody's going to want to see anyways. Like I just, I could not handle that and I was not good at it. And then I resented it. And there are people who in line who really wanted to do that work and like would bring like their whole heart to it. And I truly remember Anthony being 26 years old and saying to my friend, I mean, I've already done this for four years. So like, how could I possibly switch (laughs) four whole years? I can't do the math, but that's like, what, like 20% of my life that far? A sixth-ish? A sixth, a sixth but of like my life so Much far. more of your adult life. Correct. A huge like, part, yeah. Yeah, but it's still, I'm like, was I planning to die at 40? Right. You know, was I, like, I don't know. How could I possibly switch careers? I'm 26. Whew. Yeah. Just doesn't seem possible. So I was very busy doing all the things that I should do. So all these, I was always this person, right? I was always this person who had ideas, who wanted to do things that were creative, but I was also this person who thought like, oh, just stay in your lane and you picked your lane. So you better just do these things and then go home and I don't know, like go out with your friends, like drink eight beers, fall asleep, wake up and do it again. You said two of the magical words, which are should mm. and expectation. Yeah. Tell me what you felt like were some of the shoulds and expectations around (laughs) around life in general oh my gosh yeah i mean you can take that as broadly or specifically as you'd like i mean you know from a young age as a as a girl in america that like you should be uh presented in a certain way right so and that and that does shift like when we were in middle school it's like you should be athletic like that was the way to be popular or you should be like athletic but like also like girly like you should obviously be thin like don't don't try to not be thin as a very ambitious kid right I had this uh I'd written to our local newspaper back when Minneapolis had neighborhood newspapers like that was still a thing and I'd written to our neighborhood newspaper and said like you have all of these great writers but you don't have a kid who's a writer on your on your staff and there are so many kids in this neighborhood so you should hire me and when I didn't hear back within two weeks, I wrote the most aggressive letter, like calling him a calling the editor like a coward for not like replying to me. My dad was like, I would maybe not send this. And I was like, guess what? Mailed it. And he was on vacation. So when he came back to two oh, letters, no. he was like, I am so sorry that I insulted an 11 year old. Let's talk. That was my first paying job. I was a columnist for the Minneapolis Southwest wow, Journal. Yeah. But when I got to high school and our uh, receptionist had found the column and like put it up like, look at our incoming freshman. I was so horrified and I knew like that was not going to be cool. You know, like it was mm. not it was not cool to strive. I was not I was not cool at this school. And so I like ripped it down. I stopped doing it. Like I just made myself into somebody's girlfriend and I made myself into a very good student And I remember having this conversation with my dad in high school where I was so proud of my GPA. And he said, all this tells me is that you're good at following directions. This doesn't tell me that you're smart. And I was like, you're wrong (laughs) because it's a (laughs) 4.0. So beg to differ. This is spoken like someone who never got on the honor roll. And my dad was right, you know, but I'd already sort of like found myself into that path where the, the, the path was appearing. And I was not ready to go to college at all, like in no way. My, I'd 
excellent grades. Did I have an amazing ACT score? Yeah, I did. Thank you, Anthony. Ask me what I was, 34. Um, but <laughs> was I ready to go to college? No, like not at all. Yeah, and I got to college either. and I was so depressed and I was so lost and I hated it. I hated it. And that's a lot of money for something that you hate. I was just miserable. I think when I think about most of my adult life, it was misery, but with this, this veneer of like success, like I'd gotten into a, like a good school. I got a, I got a scholarship for half my tuition. Mm -hmm. I got good grades. I got a job, but I was truly miserable. I'd never stopped to think for even one second about what I was actually called to do in any way. Hmm. It was like, well, I can do this. And someone told me to do this, so I'll do this. Like, it just never crossed my mind to actually build an interest. I lived my entire 20s without having any interests, like none, no interests. If somebody, on a date, if somebody asked me, like, what are your interests? I would have been like, okay aggressive uh i my friends like i love going out i love to like party i watch tv i watch a lot of vh1 anything else like i had no like you know like i just didn't have any like hobbies or i, I didn't do anything like i didn't do anything this whole world like nothing interested me because i was so busy like getting to work at seven staying till like seven or eight going out to like dull off you know, the depression and then going to bed. Everybody had a had a job that they felt like whatever about. <laughs> like no one I knew was like, this is exactly what I want to be doing. I am, I am in so my life fulfilled. Yes. Like it is perfect. Oh my God, it's so wonderful. Yeah. And like, I do think your 20s, I get a lot of messages from people who are like, well, I'm in my 20s and, you know, I feel like so lost. And it's like, well, yeah, like you probably should. But like, I could not identify myself as lost. So I think if you can at least notice I am lost, this is not fulfilling, this is not right, um, that's a step. And I'm not even saying that like yeah. your whole, that your job has to be what fulfills you. For many, many, most people in this world, m the vast majority of people, it's not and that's okay if you have something else. Like you just have to have something that you like deeply care about or like what are you doing mm -hmm. watching VH1. In my, that's my answer. Yeah, that's <laughs> the whole the whole thing with uh, with should and with um, the the pressure put on. I think women mm -hmm. especially. Mm -hmm. Just what you told me about pulling down the thing because of what I think is probably a societal expectation, even at that age of peers, but yep. what has been baked into uh, not allowing people and I think more specifically women to be really into stuff yeah yeah and like be like ambitious at that age I was like oh yeah I want to be like a published author I want to be a writer I want to be I want to be Nora Ephron right I was like I just I I, I just want to write I want to make stories I want to entertain people and like I, I I can remember the first person I saw like laughing at it and me being like oh that's not I have to shut that off hmm. like I have to shut that off I have to just focus on like fitting in end of list. And now I think the pressure is completely different. This is also a pre-Instagram society, right? This is a pre, like even in my 20s, Instagram was like not really a thing. Not really. It was like scroll back to my first photo. It's like two likes, Aaron, myself, yeah. liked my own photo, not ashamed of it. But now it's almost the opposite. Now it's like this massive, like get a hustle, like girl boss, boss babe, like do all the things sort of 
sort of culture. And I think that's so damaging in its own way to be like, oh, no, you have to do a thing, do a thing and like then make it a business and like make money off it. And it's like you don't have to like you literally don't have to. But when you're watching all of these other people do that or appear to do that, because the the reality is different from the presentation of that that life, it starts to feel like, well, if I'm not doing all those things, like, am I doing anything? Like, is what I do important? Does it matter at all? Because I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not doing those things. I don't have a bajillion Instagram followers. I'm not like an influencer. I don't have like an email list. I, I don't even know what any of these things are, but they're all ephemera. <laughs> like they're, they're, they're not like a necessary aspect of life, but I feel like people almost think that they are like that it's required. And like you, you don't have to. Yeah. The, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. No, like, simply. Yeah. It, yeah. It's the, the whole thing with the internet is amazing, especially in the entrepreneurship space. And I resonate with the, what mm -hmm. you're saying about the, 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 maybe the male equivalent of like the boss babe kind mm -hmm. of thing. And I think there's this shaping of like, if you're not on that hustle, building yeah. something, it's like, uh, what are you doing? And yeah. there's just so many ways to exist. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many ways to find some level of fulfillment in, in different ways. And there's just no, there's yeah. just no one solution. I, I have two different friends mm -hmm. who have deleted their online existence. Does that in, in some ways full. just feel like like a weird version of heaven to you like that is a fantasy of mine i have to say where i'm just like select all delete bye <laughs> and then i just go about my life yeah just no, just whatever just whatever and, and it is it's an interesting thing right mm -hmm. the, one of the greatest ironies of break the twitch a site about you know stepping away from screens like using them intentionally mm -hmm. but being more in th this situation uh, is that we're on our computer. Amy and I are on our computers like 10 hours a day. Yeah. And and we are probably less flexible now than we've mm. been in the past. And again, I it's it's a hard line to walk because mm. again, this is like work that we've chosen. We're trying to build because yeah. it's, the underlying things of this are meaningful and it's how I feel like I get to help people mm -hmm suffer a little less than I did in traditional yeah. education. And, and, um, I like dropped out of college. I really struggled in a lot of ways. I was not ready for college. Yeah. Um, which is not like a thing people get to yeah. say, you know, and I have a 17 year old now. I'm like, dude, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like you should take a year, take a year to breathe, take a couple like community college classes, like find a path for yourself. But to just like dive in like that when you're yeah. 18 and spend a butt ton of money that you don't even have yet right. to basically take on a mortgage when you're 18. That's bonkers. Yeah. It, it's, it is crazy. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other, it's I mean, a whole the, other, the we're whole, here for three different three, podcasts. Okay? <laughs> we're going to have three follow-ups. Uh, but the, it, it is interesting. And, and I, I was working with, um, uh, John, a, a coach, for about a year and a half who really helped me in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, and every, and, but one thing that always comes up for me with, with him and my time working with him was literally anytime the word, so I really should be doing this now. And he's like, should, according to whom or who, I don't know. I'm never and you're like, huh. like, like, Oh, well, 
I guess I never really considered that. I just, no one actually, like, I don't think yeah. anyone's expecting that of me. Right. Except for this perception of what I felt like I needed mm -hmm. to fit into. Mm -hmm. And this also comes from now, uh, having this thing, this thing online where it, you need to stand out. Yeah. And, and after a life of schooling and stuff where all I wanted was to fit in. Mm -hmm. I wanted to just be a part of it. I wanted to be a part of the social thing. And I just wanted to fit in, didn't want to stand out. Um, and, and then I got out into the job market. Yeah. And this thing of entrepreneurship and building a blog and a YouTube channel and stuff. And, and it's like, no, I, I'm still conditioning myself to like, fit into what is yeah. there. It's weird. That like, that there's like a formula for it. And the hard thing is that everybody is selling you a formula for this mm. too. Like everybody is, is selling you the idea that to be like a successful personality or entrepreneur or writer, there are, there are steps that you can take that will get you to whatever place you've fantasized about being. Mm -hmm. And the thing about that is that I fall prey to it. I never have once like tried any of these things, but I do like, I do take my eyes off my own paper all the time. I like look around constantly. I'm like, am I doing this wrong? Hmm. Am I doing this thing wrong? And as a result, I have never once enjoyed any accomplishment. Not once, not once. I can never say I wrote a book that sold really well. Just be like, well, but it wasn't, you know, it's not like her book. So, you know. I don't know. You just, I just, I just have not. It's like, you cannot let things sink in at that level when you are so focused on where you'd like to be. You can't even enjoy where you are. And, and I find that like in myself right now, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what am I reaching for? Because if you told 26 year old me or 22 year old me that I would be here, I would have been like, like how? Like, because I already gave up. I'm 22. I already gave up and took a job in PR. So, so that's crazy. And then I would have to be like, well, your husband died first. But it, it's a long story. And you'll there's get, a, yeah. There's a bit of a, yeah. a journey. There's, yeah, there's a, you're going to have some, uh, yeah. I did a TEDx talk mm. um, two years ago. And I borderline blacked out during the talk. I have Absolutely. no idea I what I said. Time. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I remember stepping off stage with so much buildup to that moment, to anxiety going up to that moment, and then it happening and stepping off stage, walking back to where Amy was sitting in the relative darkness of the auditorium and just feeling nothing. Yeah. And four years earlier, if you had said, Anthony, you're going to do a TEDx talk about something you're incredibly passionate about and want to help the world with, and you're going to do pretty okay at it. And I would be psyched. <laughs> I'd be so yeah. psyched. And, and in that moment, I felt like, okay, well, that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, because yeah, you should have a TEDx talk a at this published point. Book so, yet you know, or... right. I just did what I was supposed to do. Yes. Okay. So like, I won't, I won't applaud it when really, yeah. Ambition with gratitude. Mm -hmm. I think it's gratitude. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's even just celebration like, of the yeah. the steps, the process. Mm -hmm. I've always struggled with this. Oh, same. Same. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but successful people, like people who I really admire, I have uh, a mentor named Susanna Grant. She's an Oscar award-winning screenwriter mm. and she's a wonderful human. And she told me, 
after something that I did not think was a big deal, she was like, no, you need to celebrate this. You need to celebrate every good thing that happens. You just need to get in that habit. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I guess I could, but it's also, you know, hard to do because like what next? Like to me, I truly am only as good as the next thing I do. So I think the answer is deep therapy, like just <laughs> some real deep work on ourselves and what we're trying to fill, which is probably like a hole that our parents left. Let's just blame it on them. And the institutionalized education. Institutionalized education, all of it, all of it, whole all thing. of it. I was terrible in school. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't, I had a very different, I, mm. uh, you know, I was a very like C and sometimes B student. Yeah. And even in choir, like I loved choir mm -hmm. and I was in different, like I was yeah. in the, acapella group and the big quad the big Jeez, one yeah you know that was my area mm -hmm. of like it's like keeping me grounded in the things that i really struggled with elsewhere i feel like that taught me that i was just the way that i was working mm -hmm. was just never going to be okay and mm -hmm. like sure you oh yeah well, you got an sure you got an a on this test but like that's yeah. what you're supposed to do exactly it, yeah like that's just what I know and how I like pass it down to my kids is really I'm like, we, I can already see the cycle. We all I mess can up see our children. The <laughs> cycle just... continuing. I can see the cycle uh, continuing. And I, I noticed it in our 12 year old and she's very um, achievement oriented, which I also was and grade obsessed. And you're in seventh grade and um, your grades don't matter <laughs> to, to life. You know, they're not they're They're of no consequence. I just want you to learn and enjoy yourself. I don't want you up at night with heart palpitations over whether or not you're going to get an A. So I paid her $50 last semester to get a B. No. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Like, I don't care what class it is, but I need a B on that report card. So she did it. Yeah. The world did not end. No. But like, I spotted that. I like, I spotted that same, you know, uh, sort of obsession forming and I was like we have got to break that now like we really do yeah we do at that age especially it feels like it's everything yeah like this is your it's the equivalent of showing up to like a job mm -hmm. later on but you're there and if if it's if you're like oh here's the requirements here's what mm -hmm. I have to do or like study for this and and then it just feels so just it does yeah like young love it just feels you know oh, it, it just feels like everything is right there and it's never gonna like it this doesn't work be, out. Yeah, it's it will never, never gonna... be unimportant. It will never be unimportant. Yeah. You don't want to like minimize what they're feeling, but also I'm like just it's I I want them all to know that there is more you have more value than just whatever comes home uh, mm -hmm. every quarter. Yes. And I really want parents, I don't have kids of my own yet, mm -hmm. but I really want parents to know too that just because their kids are struggling in school. Mm -hmm does not mean they're not super capable human beings. Yes. Uh, in lots of different mm -hmm. creative ways. And especially now I'm given so much hope by the current environment of self-publishing, of like mm -hmm. YouTube, of the ability to stand out if you can like create something wild. Right. And uh, and so I think that's really good too. There's, there's so many different ways to learn now, yes. which you should be heartened by. There's so many different kinds of schools that really understand that. And mm -hmm. it, so that's been very interesting to me too, because yeah, we're not all good at like sitting down and following directions and getting a gold star. I was, but I mean, it turns out that might not be the 
might not be important. <laughs> FYI, all college seniors watching. <laughs> let's talk about the book writing process. Yeah. yeah. Let's t- let's talk about the book writing process. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know you, you. I just saw that you have written three books in the time of what most like humans twelve months. Write yeah. One. Yes. Yes. I am a fast writer. I will say like yeah. I can sit down, I can write 2000 words a day. That's not, it's not a problem. That's like a pretty good, good pace for me, I would say. And so if you yeah. write 2000 words a day, you've got a book pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, like if a, a memoir is using around 90,000 words, 70 to 90,000, a, a, a short novel is like anywhere between 50 and 70. So writing 2000 words a day is it's a month and a half if it, yeah. for the first draft. Truly. Wow. So it's, yeah. And I, I just, I've always kind of been that way. Like it's not as if every single day I write 2000 amazing words, but sometimes I do. And I always get something out, but, um, I read, I honestly think you told me this. <laughs> so I'm just going to repeat your wisdom. Bring it on. Back to me, but we're going to attribute it to me. It's called plagiarism. Perfect. Get with it. So I, um, I think that you told me that you're supposed to do the thing that requires the most of you first like that requires the like your most creative brain like get that out of the way first and i am not naturally a focused person like i'm naturally a person who's like i'm going to sit down and do this but then you know what actually i really want to do my my YNAB, you need a budget.com my literal obsession <laughs> love it i'm just going to just going to balance my budget just going to make sure that's okay you know what i was just thinking that maybe Ralph would like to play T-ball. I'll go look up when those start. When do you think T-ball starts? And I'm also going to email one of my friends to see if her kids wants to do T-ball, which also reminds me, I used to play softball with my friend Erin. I should text her. Like I will just immediately get, get very, very far off the path. So I have to put a lot of controls in for myself. So I wake up really early. Mm. I used to also just, here's the difference between writing the first book and the second book to get back to your original question. Yeah. The first book, I was in shock. I was in shock. I had one child. I didn't sleep at all. Um, so it would take me to like two or three in the morning to fall asleep. And then I would sleep till like nine, maybe 9.30, maybe 10. I had a toddler, but he would just lay next to me until I woke up like such a bleak life. And then I'd walk him next door to daycare and then I would come home and just like wonder if I should buy food or something. Maybe I should eat and I'd stare at my computer. Like it was just so, everything was so hard, which I now recognize as shock and as depression, but I didn't at the time. So I had no routine. I had no, um, like no habits. And now I'm just a highly habited person because I follow you. (laughs) So I wake up like between 5.15 and, or I always wake up at a weird time. It's like 5.09, let's say between 509 and 514. So it's on an odd, you know, it's never on a zero or a five. Yeah. I'll just say that. And then I'm up. I sit in front of my sad lamp for a while. I write in a little journal. I wake up the big kids. We go to the gym from six to seven. I get home. My husband, Matthew, has coffee and breakfast ready. I'm extremely spoiled. Also, the difference is now I have a partner. Different environment. Different environment. And we get the little kids out the door. He takes them to school. The big kids get off to school. And then I'm home. And I'm alone for about two and a half hours. But I spend, I don't look at my phone at this point during the day. I don't check my email. I just open up what I'm writing. And I write for two hours. And I drink coffee. And I might like fiddle with my little fiddle things. My little (laughs) 
It's like this ball, but it's not a ball. It's like made out of joints, you know, those things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yep. The yeah. expanding mm -hmm. things. Got a whole thing of those on my desk, which the kids are like, these are not your toys. Like, don't you dare touch this. Okay. It looks like silly putty. It's not. Sure. It's, it's multicolored and bright. Right. But not for kids. No, no, no. Not for kids. It's a kaleidoscope. That's a grown up thing. Okay. <laughs> Set it down. So I do that for, uh, about two hours then get ready for my day and I go if I if it's a day that I'm recording uh terrible things for asking then I go to American public media and I work on that until probably 2 45 or 3 then I go pick up Ralph uh from school if I can and then I get dinner started Matthew finishes it because I've lit many things on fire including McDonald's flames flames and then uh we hang out for a little bit at night and we usually like watch something but i end my day by reading always and like writing in a journal and planning out my next day but i have a, a few habits that i know will also like make me feel better if i they don't have to be done at any specific time but if i do my call map mm. like i know that helps if i like get eight hours of sleep i know that helps if i call a friend during the day like make an actual connection not a text like have an actual phone call with a person that helps. And so I just try to do at least like one thing from that list. So I like check those off the list. But if I don't do, if I don't get a hundred percent of this, like if Ralph throws up at four in the morning and so I'm going to be with him instead of going to the gym from six to seven, like I just pick up where I can. Yeah, I'm not like, Oh, now I'm going to have to go to the gym at like noon. Instead I'm like, maybe not today. Like, okay, so now where am I Where am I in my day? What's possible? I'll just do that. But previously, it was impossible for me to have any habits because it, it had to be all or nothing. Mm. So I had to have like 100% gold star of every day or it was a failure. Like, I, I, why even try? Like, I guess I'll just go to Target and walk around and buy stuff. This just came up in a, a podcast episode recently about consumption and mm. like veganism and different things mm. about how when we expect perfection of ourselves it pretty much just wipes the table clean like yeah. eat butter mm -hmm. but eat a meal without meat or you know like right. that was kind of the idea yeah. is is that when we expect perfection of ourselves it's almost impossible to change and hold ourselves accountable to that mm -hmm. it is impossible it it's is. perfection yeah. and that doesn't exist yep and um, it also like just sets up so much tension for everyone else in our lives, you know, to be like, these are the things I have to do. It has to happen at this schedule. Well, like life truly does not care about your plan or your schedule, like at all. So I had several days like that this week alone where I was like, well, I did my best. I did my best. Do you, Did you recognize a point where you embraced that transition I, I can't I can't say that there's like a moment, but this is definitely something that has happened within the last year, for sure, for sure. Because, um, you know, Matthew and I met in 2015, and then you know we were married maybe in like 2016, 2017. I honestly can't remember, and that's a big change, right? It's a big change to like move it to go from one kid to four kids, to go from dead husband to like dead husband and a living husband. And to go from, you know, at the time I was doing a lot of freelance, you know, copywriting and marketing writing on top of, you know, trying to trying to build terrible things for asking and on top of writing books because it was good to have 
you know, extra income. And I had no routine. I had no plan. Every day was completely different. And Matthew is a person who goes to work every day at a job and gets paid every two weeks. And God bless him for that. He also knows when the kids need dental appointments. He knows the last time they had a bath. I truly couldn't. I smelled them today and was like, have we? He's like, oh, no, they're due. They're due today. I'm like, oh, good. Are you clean? Yeah, are you? (laughs) Yeah. One of them was like, you're smelling yourself. I was like, one, true, but not the topic at hand. Okay, because I can wear deodorant and you are a stinky six-year-old. So not to name names, but he smells. Not to call out any specifics. Yeah, not to call out any specific kid, but yes, they all smell. But I definitely took a page out of Matthew's book and it was heavily influenced mm-hmm. by Matthew and the fact that I could I could live like that forever. I really could. I could I could fly by the seat of my pants and be like, I think it's fine. I'll get something for dinner on the way from somewhere, except that I forgot that it was also double booked for a meeting. So actually I'm not coming home and you're going to have to get all four of the kids because I'm not going to get any of them. And he can't live that way. He can't live that way. The kids didn't love living that way. So it was definitely born of necessity that uh, that was pointed out to me gently, which was maybe, maybe don't be like this. <laughs> like, maybe don't. And maybe then I would be less stressed out. And I was very skeptical. I was like, no, I cannot be bound by any laws or rules or like, uh, I'm not like you. And I was like, no, I am. Like, we we all are, basically. Like, we all do need some sort of rhythm to our lives and doesn't have to be the same one and doesn't have to be the same every day, but we do have to have some guidelines really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fl- and having flexibility within those guidelines. Mm-hmm. I have a similar uh, story in my own relationship uh, <laughs> where I definitely am uh, much more of a, in the moment, mm-hmm. it's a blessing in some ways yes. because I'm just kind of here now. Mm-hmm. I'm not worrying too much about next week or mm-hmm. it, it, it comes and goes, but Amy is definitely more on the side of like structure regimented. And so I merging into that and mm-hmm. her finding flexibility and yeah. me finding more of that structure and finding what happens when you actually create the structure, you end up with what you're talking about somewhere yeah. in the middle where mm-hmm. it's, not a big deal if you have a yeah kid throw up in your example right. <laughs> you know at four in the morning yeah. and you miss the gym that day like my ther- yeah my therapist was also like the things that you're describing you know there's no reason why like I was sort of stretching my work day out too which happens when you work on your own and you work from home all of a sudden you're like it's eight p.m. why am I like writing emails my therapist was like you don't have a regular job because you wanted to not do that. And yet you're doing that. So what are you doing that's stretching your workout that much that you can't finish it in order to pick up your kid from daycare? Like, what is it? And I was like, well, it's fucking around on the internet. Thank you for checking. Obviously, like having a timer on my phone, I have, I don't have a, an Apple phone. I have a uh, Android, but I have, uh, they have this thing called digital well-being, and it will you set a timer for like problem apps for yourself, basically. Mm. So for me, that's Instagram. And once you hit your timer, it like you can't open the app. It's gone. Yes. There's similar similar features on iOS now. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And also to look at how many times you look at your phone is gross. But that's where all my time was going. And my time was going to to 
not having a schedule felt like it was flexibility, but it wasn't because I was trapped in whatever people wanted of me too. So I was, you know, oh, I'll, I'll go here for this and then here for this and here for this and da, da, da. And yes, I'll have coffee with you. And yes, I'll do this. And, you know, cause I want everybody to like me obviously, but also, yeah. Also then I don't have any time to work. And so I'm doing the most important work that I say is so important to me. Like before I go to bed, like that's so I have not stayed up to write um, in a year, I don't think. Like, no, I haven't. It's it's done. It's yeah. done. My my day's work is done. And I was basically just not prioritizing. Yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling that. The, mm-hmm. the I'm feeling your words. It is interesting how Tim Ferriss, I think, talks a lot mm-hmm. about how the task ex- expands to the time we give it. Mm. And I think he was speaking more broadly about if we say this needs to be done in six weeks, uh, we will find a way to spend six weeks right. working on this thing yeah. versus two. But I uh, think that also applies to a, a macro or a micro mm-hmm. level of when we allow ourselves to be available to work all day, we end up just working on and off all day instead of condensing these things and having it. And that's something I still, I've talked about this since season yeah. one, but yeah. but I am actively working on just condensing it so mm-hmm. that there's clear segments of yeah. time when we're not doing this stuff. We're right in our house right here, mm-hmm. Amy's desk, my desk, yeah. and we're just- The dishwasher. The Should dish- I empty it? It's like, that's, that's, that's what I would do too. But yeah. I truly shut the door to my little office that used to be our dining room and then- like I'll have like my day blocked off in a way, you know, so when I'm done writing, then today I was working on like my side project, Cafeteria Christian, like a podcast for like people who are not like really religious, <laughs> you know, it's a podcast for non-religious people, honestly, about spirituality and God. Also just being a decent person is really what the podcast is about. I'm really great at elevator pitches, but today I like did all the things for that podcast that I'm, that I, that I record on Sundays after church. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like I normally I wouldn't do that. Normally, if I were doing this two years ago, I would have done that um Saturday night, like panicked and been like, oh God, oh God, oh God. And it just would have sucked. And it feels crappy. It feels so much better to just be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just getting things done and not like not I don't give myself to the to the urgent because nothing is really that urgent because I've planned for it. You know? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes urgency takes the place over like importance in your life. It's very easy to have happen and it's very enticing too because you're like, oh, here's a shiny new, I can solve this problem. And then you're really just like adding like nine problems on the back. I don't know the, the full exchange rate, but it's definitely adding more. Yeah, it, it feels like increasingly the urgent, this is a big thing with the, mm-hmm. the I know like productivity systems mm-hmm. and different things is like the quadrants and you have the essential and urgent, the yeah. inessential, unessential inessential and yeah. urgent, the really essential and not urgent. Yeah. There's like the quadrants or whatever. Yeah. And increasingly, I think with social media, the way that it works, the way that our devices work, it's creating that, you see, like the the fake mm-hmm. stress. Yeah. It's generating this, that feeling mm-hmm. in us of this false sense of urgency to check, to respond to mm-hmm. do these things and we're we're sort of trapped in this little thing unless yeah. we step back and and that's email that's different things and and um it, it's a it's a it's a weird time with yeah. all this for everyone who's in in any way involved 
in having a social media account. Yeah, and I think that's also something to work. like keep in mind and sort of reinforce for other people that you're communicating with is like saying like this is not urgent, you know, or like you don't have to reply to this right away because mm-hmm. when things are delivered to us right away, like there it it sort of almost feels like I'm handing this to you and now it's yours like right now, like so deal with it now. Uh, at least when when I get something like that, I'm like, oh God, like if I don't reply like right now, are they going to think I'm rude? I'm like, well, honestly, like I don't spend more than 45 minutes a day on Instagram. So like I'm probably not going to see it. But if I do, um, I don't know, maybe I'll get to it and and maybe I won't. But I used to spend hours and hours trying to like be a completist in that way when it's not possible. To kind of book in the, at least the discussion of the, the book and the one that's coming out, um, in just very soon, probably yes. next week by the yeah. time this is coming out. Uh, who's the book for? The book is for anybody who has gone through something difficult. So it's it's not as if you need to have a dead husband to be able to relate to it. Uh, I think the entire world is built from people who are living a different version of their life than the one that they expected. And people who feel conflicted about um, the fact that they are suffering and also grateful or that they're hopeful, but also sad, maybe that they're living all of these feelings all at once when really we all are. And the world is filled with complicated people and complicated families. And this is a book for those kind of people. There's something that I've been wanting to ask Mm -hmm. you. And in this format, I am thrilled to get to Mm -hmm. share this answer with, with anyone listening. Yeah. I have always personally struggled with finding the best way to support people mm-hmm. when they either A, share something difficult mm-hmm. that's been going on or is going on, and B, just are going through something difficult. Yeah, join the club because that's everyone. So one, feel better. Everybody yeah. feels that way. Everybody <laughs> feels that way. And it's not as if, you know, I, I lost my husband and I was like, wait, Hold on. I know exactly what to say when you tell me you're getting a divorce. Sure. Like sometimes I don't. Like uh, I I wish that there were just sort of like one key phrase to give you or one thing to do. But um, the thing is that you have to be humble about it. And that's the hardest thing for people to do. The reason we rush to fill that silence and the reason we rush to to give to give some sort of um, comfort to them or, or, or advice, right. Or to do something is because we are so uncomfortable with someone else's discomfort and really with our own. Hmm. We're so just not ready for that. And the thing is like, you don't have to know what to say. You can say, I don't know what to say. I'm so sorry to hear that. Like you can admit that. Like I've, I, wow, I've never met someone who's going through that. I will also tell you that when you're wondering what should I do for a person who's suffering, the answer is to do a thing. Like pick a thing that you can do, you are capable of, you have the time to do, and that you actually will, and then do that thing. Just do that thing. And don't expect a thank you. In fact, my favorite thing to do is to do something for someone either anonymously or to say, do not send me a thank you note. Do not. Just enjoy this thing, whatever it is, enjoy this experience, whatever it is, and and no thank you note needed. No one is going to know what they need if they haven't done something before. Your mom only dies once. 
You know, even if you have two moms, like the one mom, each mom will only die once. Every single, every single act of, of, of suffering in your life is completely unique. Like how would they know what they need? So don't say like, what can I do? Like they don't know what you can do. Like they don't know what you personally will do and they don't know what they need. So I wrote a whole book about this conversation um, with Ted books called The Hot Young Widows Club. Mm. Um, and it's really just it's truly like a practical guide to grief and suffering for people who are going through it and for people who are around them. So it's a really short book. It's the kind of thing that you can give to someone who's gone through something harder or it's going through or if like, for example, if my husband dies again, I'll give you this book. When my new husband dies, I'll give you this book. Like, this is this is how you talk about this. This is what you do. So, but truly everyone struggles with this. And we're also afraid of doing or saying the wrong thing that we just don't do anything. And that is the most damaging thing you can do is to say nothing or do nothing or disappear. So don't disappear. Don't disappear. Do, do a thing. Do a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the discomfort is real. I mean there's compassion. You care about yeah. the person. And most often I find myself at this point, when someone shares something difficult with me, uh, just saying, thank, thank you for sharing that with me. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you, you know, trusting me enough to share yeah. that. And, um, and I'm, I'm sorry that you're going through that. Yeah. But beyond that, I, I often feel like I don't know that I'm being supportive enough or mm -hmm. that it, I feel an insecurity almost in a oh, way. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, you know, when I share other things too, it's difficult. You don't always, you don't necessarily want advice. You don't, yeah. it's yeah. just kind of like mm -hmm. you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. But like, okay. So here's what I'll say. If you want to give me, if I, to give you specific examples, yesterday was Valentine's day and I just had this memory of, uh, Aaron died like maybe not even three months before, Valentine's Day. Now, Valentine's Day was not a big pillar of our relationship. It's not like I was like, oh, Valentine's Day alone. Like, how will I survive? Like, every day is hard when your person is dead. Like, Valentine's Day is just like another day that is difficult. But he was such a thoughtful person and he was a really good gift giver. I did not give a rip about Valentine's Day, but he did. And he always gave me something amazing and like just a really good gift giver. And I came home that day after he had died on Valentine's Day, and there was a huge flower arrangement. And I have no idea who it was from. It said from Ralph. He was two at the time, so I know he was not that thoughtful. Mm. But it was like, oh, wow, like someone thought of me that day. Like they thought of me. It had been months at this point. Like most people were no longer, you know, checking in every day or or checking in at all. And I got this thing that was like just a reminder of, oh, I, I remember, like, I remember that, that you lost Aaron and I don't know who sent that. I imagine that they had their own little Valentine's day celebration that they were, they were going to plan for themselves and their person, but they thought of me. And that's such a, that's such a specific thing. And also not like you have those opportunities to just remember what someone is going through even if it was a long time ago and to just say like, Oh my God, I remembered the story about your dad. Like your dad died 10 years ago, but you know, I remembered the story about him in fifth grade. And like, he called our coach a, a bitch. That was so funny. <laughs> like, like those are, those are the things like where you can just remind a person that you remember I gift cards are also great. Like, <laughs> like grief is expensive. It's truly like America's garbage. 
it's a terrible place to to be sick or uh, have someone you love die. And so, I mean, yeah, people like people have very basic needs to be filled, hmm. which is crazy. We're in the richest country in the world, but yet here we are. Here we are, crowdfunding our way through suffering. It's yeah. great. So something like a third of all crowdfunding things least, are medical. At least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for your answer. Yeah. And that is helpful. Um, and that kind of perfectly ties into mm -hmm. one of the things that you do it and does, one of yeah. the things you've done, which I'd love to ask you about mm -hmm. still kicking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your, your work with that has been profound and it's, uh, one of the things, one mm -hmm. of the shirts I'm wearing yeah, right yeah. now, oh, man, which is me too. Whoa, awesome. Whoa, We're whoa. all yeah. kitted <laughs> out. Um, but, uh, tell me about the, the inspiration for still kicking yeah. and, and the work you're doing with that now. Yeah. Still kicking is a nonprofit and it was Aaron's idea. So Aaron's my dad husband. He died of brain cancer, but the day that he had a seizure, he was wearing this old thrift store shirt, crackly letters, Kelly green with white crackly letters. It said still kicking. And we thought that was hilarious. We were like, Oh my God, you had a seizure. What a loser. We were so oblivious to the danger that he was in. We had no idea he had a brain tumor. We had no idea it was stage four brain cancer. We just thought it was so funny that he had a seizure at work, went to the ER on Halloween and was wearing this ironic t-shirt. I just remember walking into the ER and being like, dude, we have to hand out Halloween candy tonight. Like you better get out. <laughs> okay. Cause we're a couple and we just moved in together and we're going to do a couple thing tonight. <laughs> and so I need you to get up. Um, but that shirt was ironic until it wasn't. And Aaron had always wanted to, you know, like basically recreate this, this shirt and sell it and give the money to something. Like it was like this sort of vague idea, but not really. And, you know, he had a seizure in 2012, like the internet was a very different place. And I remember I bought uh, the URL for him and uh, our friend Punchy helped me make like, you know, a mock-up of a Tumblr and I like gave it to him. I was like, we'll make your idea happen. But we did not have money to, to start something, you know, to like buy t-shirts to like, we did not have the time to, to manage stock and orders. And, and there were, there were not as many turnkey ways to do things as there are now. I know that seems crazy because it was like seven years ago, but there really wasn't. Yeah. It was so different. And when Aaron was dying, uh, we had the t-shirts made with Cotton Bureau, which is t-shirt site and they do pre-order model. So you have to hit a minimum order and the minimum order was 12. And I thought, oh my God, so there's six people in my family. I'll order six. I'll order two for you. Like we'll, we'll make it. And we sold like 500 and then we sold 3000 and then we sold 5,000 and the money at that time went to the Masala foundation for brain cancer research. But Aaron had always known that, you know, that he was more than brain cancer and that, there's all kinds of suffering all over our world and all throughout our country that there are many, many different ways for life to kick you in the face. And he was really sensitive to that. And the fact is we were lucky. Aaron did not have life insurance, but we were two middle-class white people from Minnesota. And so our crowdfunding campaign did really well. And it replaced Aaron's salary for a year. And it let me, you know, pay for his funeral. Funerals are very expensive. It let me pay his medical bills. It let me pay my mortgage after I spontaneously quit my job after he died because I was, could not function. And not everybody had that. And 
it took me a, a while. It took me about a year after he died to not even, I think it took me six months, but it took me a while. Like, and, and, uh, Jay Finelli, who started Cotton Bureau was such a good dude. And I remember him sending me a message and being like, I'll print this shirt for as long as you want me to, but it could be something else. And when you're ready, just let me know and I'll help you however I can. And he really did. You know, he has like, this is our printer. This is our, this is our warehouse. This is how this works. This is how you can set it up. And so we did that. My friend Lindsay and I sat down and made a website uh, in the basement of Fueled Collective Uptown. (laughs) And we were like, here's how it's going to work. Okay. Every month we're going to pick a person and we're going to give them the money. Okay, that's it. And it could be anybody who's going through anything. Okay, I don't want this to just be about brain cancer. I want it to just be about people, about the fact that we're all going through something hard and we don't get to pick it. We don't get to pick what it is or when it happens, which is so rude, but we can still help one another through it however we can. And she was like, I think that makes sense. We'll do it. And we did it and we it it worked. Mm-hmm. And that first month we gave out $1,200, which felt like a lot. And uh, it kept that amount kept growing. And, um, then it was time to do my taxes. And my accountant was like, so like, where's like the sales tax? And like, you know, how, like, how are you going to pay tax on the money? I was like, Oh, I gave the money away. So it shouldn't be a problem. It was a problem. Obviously. Like I was not running a nonprofit. I was running a business where it gave away all the money. That's not smart. You should <laughs> Google things. But like, I am a person who just wants to start things. If I would have yeah. looked up, how to do it right. I would be like, oh my God, too much stuff. Too many, too many things. I won't do it. But it was not hard to turn it into a nonprofit. There's a form. It there's the word the letters on it are easy because it's easy. The longest part of that process was putting a stamp on and mailing it, which took two weeks. It took two minutes to fill out the form, two weeks to bring it to the front of Field Collective where the mailbox is. Isn't that how it goes? <laughs> That's how it goes. So uh now we're a 501c3 nonprofit and we have been doing this for almost four years. So every month we pick a person who's going through something hard. They're nominated on our website and we tell their story without pity. Nobody that we work with is a sad story. And we give them money because money is so important when your life falls apart. And these are no strings attached grants. I don't care what you use it for. You know what you need that money for. I'm not going to make you show me, you know, I'm not going to make you send me your light bill and I'll pay that for you. No, I'm going to give you the money. And you can go to Disneyland, you can go to the movies, you can pay your mortgage. I don't care. Like life is hard. Like you do what you need to do with it. So um, that's what we do. And it's retail based mainly. We do get some, we get donations, but um, but we sell apparel and 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 produce events and that's how we make most of our money. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and that's not something I get paid to do. I just wanna get that. Uh, out there. I don't get paid to do that. I pay people to do it and I pay them like fair, like living wages, which is important to me, but that's just the thing that I do for Aaron. What an amazing way to honor, uh, honor him. Yeah. I always think like he would have done something really rad, like if I would have died. So I'm like, I'm just kind of like, I hope it's good, but like, I'm sure he'd have like some feedback. <laughs> he was like really specific aesthetically. And I am not, as you can tell. I'm like, designer, I mean, yeah, he's very, I find it interesting what you're seeing about the money just mm-hmm. going to the person. Yeah. You see this a lot where mm-hmm. people feel the ability to 
to judge mm-hmm. how a person is using their resources in a given situation. Yeah. And that is wonderful that <laughs> that you. that is the capacity with which you're helping because mm-hmm. I know that you're absolutely right that that it's you don't you don't know. things are not rational no. often when you're going through something like that yeah. and and it's uh it is you need what you need. You need what you need and it's literally none of my business. So, and these are people who are nominated by people that that they love and um and often sometimes by strangers too, which is also pretty cool to like be able to identify that in somebody else that they need help and that they are, I believe everybody is, is, is worthy of help. Um, but it feels very good to be able to do, to do something that, you know, is really made up of a lot of small actions, like our own fundraiser. Um, when Aaron was dying, the average gift was like $10, Hmm. like $10. That's, and we got over a hundred thousand dollars. So like some people gave much more, but like, and some people gave like $1 or $2. But like the fact is they did a small thing for the majority of people who donated were people we did not know. Strangers. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And so what I love about Still Kicking is like that it is not about a specific thing. It really isn't. So it's not about cancer. It's not about um, like a specific affliction. It is about the fact that those two words are always going to mean something different to every single person who sees them. And I think that's the glory of it, really. Yeah. So over there is a question, Vaz, and I'd love to have you answer a question from it, please. These are from previous podcast guests and a few commenters on YouTube and a few other random places. So if you don't mind reading it aloud. What is something people said would not work, but you got it to work? Thompson. Adarin Comey? Adarin Comey, yeah. Adarin Comey, okay. God. I mean, still kicking. (laughs) Truly. Truly, like, did the world need another um, nonprofit? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, There were definitely better, uh, I don't know, everybody has an opinion about everything you do. So I find the best thing to do is to not ask anybody what their opinion is. I think the feedback that I got when I started, the unsolicited feedback was like, just slow down. Like, you know, I don't know, is this really the right time? Do you really want to be putting all this on your credit card? No, but I did. And lesson learned. And I'm so glad I did it the way that I did it, honestly. If we would have um, really thought it through, one, I would have not done it. I just wouldn't have done it. I would have been like, oh, my gosh, you know what this is? This is going to be too much. And instead, when it was too much, we just rose to it. And so many people, I have to say my very favorite thing about Still Kicking is that so many people volunteer and help us make it a thing. Mm. So many people. So many people when I was like, I'm starting to make this thing. Will someone help me? So many people were like, I'll help you, dummy. Yes. You have some wonderful (laughs) people around. I really do. And that has been such a good reminder, too, because it's very easy to um, especially like to sort of self-isolate yourself, especially when you are in a uh, like a depressive state to be like, nobody cares. Nobody like actually like likes me, like people just liked my dead husband, but they don't like me and I'm so alone. And I definitely still have days where I like tell myself that story. And if I look up at all of the things that uh, have been possible in my life, like I didn't do any of this alone. Like not one single thing did I do on my own. And with that, my conversation with Nora is concluded. 
I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please do take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Do check out more at breakthetwitch.com slash podcast 024, where you can find all of the show notes from the episode, links to Nora's new book that's coming out next week, which you should definitely check out as well. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll see you soon.